0: Welcome back to the Burn Bag Podcast. This is the latest installment of our miniseries, Sri Lanka, Debt, Development and Democracy. Uh, today, we have a great episode with a government voice, actually, uh, the State Minister for Regional Cooperation, Tharaka Balasuriya. So this position hasn't actually existed in previous governments. This was a position created by the current president, Gotai Bey Rajapaksa. Of course, we've talked a bit about the Rajapaksa political family throughout some of our other episodes. But the way in which you should think about this is think of this guy as sort of similar to a deputy foreign minister, but with more of a regional focus. Of course, while we say he has more of a regional focus, right before our interview, he did visit Russia to consult with the Russian government on some varying issues. So. Deputy Foreign Minister, I think it's the best way to sort of look at this. Ryan, how are you doing today? Uh, any sort of uh, reactions, any questions about this interview?
1: Doing well, Andre. Uh, I really did enjoy this interview. It, it was quite interesting because anytime you have a current government official, whether it be Sri Lankan, American, wherever, uh, they they're very careful most of the time about what they say because they're representing their governments. And so I think, of course, this in particular. The, the main takeaways for me are are what um, he said about the his, the Sri Lanka's relationship with China and the U.S. Right, trying to like look at both of them. He was, of course, was as balanced as one can be. But at least to me, there was this clear kind of hint towards China, or at least cooperation with China, uh, which certainly makes sense with the makeup of the current government because. Uh, as we talked about with other uh, individuals in this mini series uh, it's far more beneficial to work with China because there's no strings attached um and uh, and there were you know interesting critiques uh, that he had of the previous governments on certain deals and you know and, you know I think the port in particular andre is something I know that you kind of caught yeah, yeah,
0: so I mean I think he he did do a lot of the uh, you know you'd ask him a question and then he'd turn around the question. You know, you you sort of talk about Sri Lanka's relationship with China, and he's like, "Well, the U.S. is also trading with China. What about this? What about that?" So there was a lot of that that was going on. He did blame the previous government for a lot of the economic woes that were plaguing Sri Lanka. For example, we've had former Prime Minister Ranil Wickremasinghe on. That was our second episode in this miniseries. He this uh the current state minister he name-checked Ranil quite a bit <laughs> throughout this interview, blaming him for a series of uh, different things. But yeah, Ryan, you mentioned the port. So in previous episodes, we've talked a bit about this 99-year lease that China has had on the Hambantota the port. They're leasing the port from Sri Lanka. So I posed the question, will you renegotiate this deal, this port? And the state minister sort of, came back at me with a bit of a critique saying like, you know, then if you renegotiate that, Sri Lanka will not be seen as a, you know, a pro-business climate. It'll be seen as sort of going back on its word and so on. But the reason I asked that question was because uh, current Sri Lankan president, his boss, uh, Gotaibay Rajapaksa, gave an interview, I think, in around 2019 with an Indian news outlet. And he was posed the same question, are you going to renegotiate it? Or revisit it. And President Rajapaksa actually told the interviewer, yeah, he will request to the Chinese that they renegotiate something to be a bit kinder to Sri Lanka. So clearly... I think views and perspectives and policies have changed uh, on the port itself and that lease.
1: Yeah. And again, so uh, pay attention to that kind of that remark or that question that Andre pos- poses, uh, but also kind of think about the way in which the, the minister is positioning Sri Lanka vis-a-vis the region. Yeah. It's very interesting uh, how he, he describes Sri Lanka's relationships with its neighbors and also Sri Lanka's kind of foreign policy positioning. Uh, And so, again, you know, while Sri Lanka is a a small country, it's a geostrategic country. It's significant in the region, particularly when we have this U.S.-China competition. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And again, I mean, one of the reasons Rajapaksa, the president, had created this new ministry, this state minister position, was because he wanted to emphasize regional cooperation as it's in the name. And uh, one thing that you might get from this is... You know, while we have viewed, and this has been a question, right? While we viewed the Rajapaksa government as being, quote unquote, pro-China, the previous government as being pro-US, it's a bit more complicated than that. Ryan, I'm sure we can sense that there's a tilt towards China, obviously. Sri Lanka is more prone to taking these Chinese deals for a variety of reasons. But but uh, the state minister often sort of pledges neutrality he talks a lot about neutrality. Sri Lanka is a neutral power. We're not going to let the U.S. and China take too much influence. But folks, you'll be able to hear more about that in the interview right now. So I'll throw it to the interview and you'll hear our reactions right afterwards. So, uh, Mr. Balasuriya, can you sort of Take us through. Give us a rundown of what exactly your position in the government entails.
2: I am the um, state minister for uh, regional cooperation, which is uh, similar to the, the deputy minister of uh, foreign affairs, but uh, with more emphasis on the uh, on the region. Um, when this government came into power, the uh, uh, His Excellency the President uh, was of the view that. Um, we have traditionally been involved in uh, in political diplomacy. Uh, so he wants to shift the focus of the foreign ministry from uh, political diplomacy to more economic dip- diplomacy. So with that, keep it in mind, and also uh, also with the view that you know the Asia will be the engine of growth uh, in in years to come. Uh, this uh, the, uh, state ministry was created uh, under the name of uh, regional cooperation.
0: Certainly. So. To start this conversation off, in your view, what is the state of Sri Lanka's foreign policy today? It's foreign policy agenda, and it's generally its relations within the region, and probably more so throughout the world as well. well uh, Sri Lanka has been following foreign policy since the 1950s. We have
2: followed and a neutral foreign policy. Uh, but through the years, uh, I would say certain governments um, have... Uh, uh, have either taken a pro-West stand or pro, uh, let's say, you know, before the fall of the Soviet Union, maybe a uh, pro-socialist stand. Uh, but we have uh, maintained uh, right throughout the, right throughout uh, since 1950s, a foreign policy which is, um, uh, which is underlined and uh, neutral. Uh, the present government uh, has issued a, a twenty-point uh, foreign policy directive, and uh, based on that, the foreign policy directive we engage with other countries.
0: Certainly, and uh, I guess you mentioned that directive. Could you sort of take us through some key points of that twenty-point directive that might differ from previous governments of Sri Lanka?
2: Yeah, okay, uh, the uh, the uh, the twenty-point foreign policy. Directive. uh, Well, the the first point is like you know we we will follow a neutral and uh, we will follow a neutral and uh, a non-aligned policy. Uh, But there are also other aspects of it, such as like uh, uh, pertaining to the uh, let's say our our natural natural. minerals and all that so we uh, in that foreign policy directive it has stated that you know we have to be mindful of our strategic locations so our natural uh, natural uh, minerals uh in in uh, when dealing with uh, other countries so uh, it is the, the foreign policy directive has been uh, taken out of the vistas of prosperity which was the manifesto uh, Uh, or the the policy document when uh, Godabi Rajapaksa, uh, the current president,
0: came to power. So with regards to your position as state minister of regional cooperation, how is Sri Lanka currently positioning itself in terms of regional cooperation? Has that positioning brought about any particular benefits? In what sense? Like uh, since, uh, I guess, uh, you took your position on, uh, and since Mr. Rajapaksa came to power as president, uh, has the regional positioning changed that Sri Lanka has taken?
2: Well, I think you know Sri Lanka has excellent relations with the the regional countries, where, particularly the South countries and the deep state countries. It has it has the, the these excellent relations. It's, it tends to be also quite historic. Uh, our relations with Pakistan. If you look at our relations with even countries like you know Burma or with you know uh, countries like you know Thailand or, or all these countries tend to be more historic than uh, uh, than current. Uh, but uh, I think it's see it's a question of uh, solidifying whatever the relations which we have had uh, with these countries. And I think uh, as our the closest neighbor, our relations with uh, India, uh, India has been, um, we have been able to strengthen it. Particularly we have uh, in during foreign policy dialogue, uh, we have all, always emphasized some of the, uh, the, the security concern which India has. Uh, so uh, I, I think the, the current approach is appreciated by our Asian neighbors.
0: So South Asia is generally not as integrated as many other regions of the world. Uh, we've seen some events in Afghanistan recently that have taken place uh, and many countries in the region have, you know, voiced uh, their strong opinions about those events but are there any future opportunities that you see for greater integration amongst the South Asian countries? I hope so. I mean,
2: I I, I hope so and I I absolutely think there is a tremendous, uh, you know, a tremendous growth uh, for integration in the uh, the, uh, South Asian countries absolutely right if you look at the intra trade in countries like the asean block and then if you look at the intra trade between the uh, uh, in the saarc countries it's minimum com- compared to the asean block uh, i would think that you know uh, one uh, one area of hindrance uh, in this aspect is the uh, the relationship between uh, india and uh, pakistan uh, i would think that in order for South Asia as a region to, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, move forward, the relationship between India and Pakistan
0: has to improve. Is there any role for Sri Lanka, perhaps, in improving those relations between India and Pakistan? Or is that really something that those two countries need to sort out for themselves? It's very historical. It's,
2: you know, it, it's not uh, issue which has you know propped up now. It's it's been there since independence, Punjab issue. Uh, I hope that that you know dialogue will follow, and that you know the I hope that there will be dialogue between uh, India and Pakistan, and and uh, that the, the relationship will improve. Uh, but I certainly, I certainly don't think this is a uh, this should be a, a multilateral uh, issue. I think this, this this issue should be, you know, sorted out bilaterally between uh, the two countries.
0: So now I sort of want to dig into a big chunk of our interview. Uh, part of the reason we're doing this mini series is because many in the American sort of foreign policy community have expressed concern and fears over Sri Lanka's relationship with China. So we sort of want to sort of dig in a bit more to understand what that bilateral relationship looks like. so can you sort of describe to us uh, in your perspective what is the type of economic aid that China has provided to Sri Lanka in recent years?
2: Well, uh, you know China has given uh, financial assistance to uh, to Sri Lanka at very concessionary rates. I think there has been a certain narrative which has been built saying that you know Sri Lanka has you got into a debt trap uh, due to uh, the Chinese debt. Uh, but a careful analysis will see that, you know, this total debt, which uh, Sri, uh, Chinese debt which uh, Sri Lanka has is, we have a debt to issue, but it's not because of the Chinese. Uh, and if you look at, if you do a close analysis, you will see that, you know, out of, uh, out of our total debt, the Chinese debt uh, is, is around 10%. And most of that debt has been uh, has been, has come, up, come, come at a very uh, concessionary rates. Uh, so uh, it's I think far, far, far from the truth. Uh, far from the truth. Uh, Chinese uh, have been, the, uh, the Chinese government has been a, you know, a longtime friend of Sri Lanka and they have always helped Sri Lanka out even during the, uh, during the war, uh, particularly uh, with uh, with the military aid, uh, so we feel that uh, we, we feel that there can be uh, greater integration uh, between the two countries, uh, and we feel that uh, there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, for for a country like Sri Lanka to uh, uh, Sri Lanka to deal uh, with uh, a country like uh, China or trade with a country like uh, trading with a country like uh, China. So uh, ours mainly tends to be, you know, e- economical and cultural. Uh, and um, because as you can, as you know that, you know, Sri Lanka is the oldest democracy in, you know, this, uh, in Asia. So there are certain values which we don't share, but there are certain values which we do share. I think, you know, uh, the, uh, we can certainly exploit the values which we share and uh, uh, move forward economically.
0: So you you mentioned, you know, Sri Lanka and China have had had a very friendly sort of historical relationship, as you said, economically, uh, culturally and so on. But there have been many criticisms in U.S. circles and Western circles that Sri Lanka is that the current Rajapaksa government under President Gota Abeya Rajapaksa is, quote unquote, pro-China. Uh, is the current government of Sri Lanka pro-China or are they in China's sphere of influence? Well, I think it's a very, uh, you know, very unfair accusation. If you look
2: at the, you know, the the the, the United States trade, uh, who do they trade with? Uh, you, you know, during your previous administration, uh, there was a trade war uh, between you know China and the United States. And during the, uh, the during the period of that trade, war, uh, large uh, U.S. companies like Te- Tesla goes and opens shop in China. Uh, so uh, I think you know because we, China is uh, well, is a global player and it's a it's a huge economy. So uh, I think it's a very unfair accusation. That if you look at the European Union, if you look at you know the United States, China is a major trading partner of them. Too. so when Sri Lanka trades with China, I think that you know people are you know you know people are having issues with that. But when when the, when the Americans trade with China or when the Europeans trade with China, there's no issue with that. So I I don't, I don't think that it's the same measurement is being used uh, to uh, measure those uh, instances.
0: So with regards to another accusation that you might deem unfair uh, that some in the U.S. policy community are making, there's been concern over the Humbanto, the port, and some of the other, uh, I guess, leases that China has made over some of the other ports. Uh, What's Sri Lanka's response to criticisms over the Humbanto, the port, and China's, I, I believe, 99 year lease over that port. Are concerns over perhaps sovereignty valid? Who controls the port?
2: We were never, uh, we were, uh, the, the Rajpaksa administration never wanted to lease the uh, port out to China. It was never our intention to lease out the port, and we didn't do that. It was the previous government, Anil Vikram Singh's us government, which leased out the, uh, the Hampantara port to uh, the, uh, China. And uh, we, too, are lost for words why they did that. Uh, Out of the total loan, one-third of the loan had been paid at that time. Uh, And then uh, it was paid by the money sent by the Ports Authority of Sri Lanka. So uh, we had another uh, two-thirds of the loan to pay uh, and we didn't have any issue pertaining to that. So uh, the... uh, And uh, please note that it... It was not the Rajapaksa administration which leased the loan out. It was the UMP, running Rikwok led administration, which, was, which uh, leased the loan out. And we feel that, you know, it was a grave mistake to uh, lease, up, lease the, uh, uh, the, uh, the port to uh, China because we feel that, you know, off the coast of Hamban Tata, uh, you have the biggest, biggest uh, shipping lane in the world. Uh, 80,000 uh, 80, ships uh, cross that lane, and then Sri Lanka uh, should have uh, should have leveraged it better in order for the Sri Lanka's growth uh, but uh, I think you know once these things are done you know, once international agreements uh, are reached the, the successive governments also has to uh, uh, to honor and respect those uh, the, uh, those agreements. Uh, although we are not in agreement, uh, which was carried out by the previous government.
0: So with regards to those agreements that you had to honor and abide by, are there any opportunities perhaps to renegotiate that reg- re- agreement, have a new agreement perhaps with the Chinese authorities? Uh, what is? Is there any possibility of that? Now, if we did the same thing to a US company, okay, and if we did the same
2: thing to uh, the, to the uh, let's say a European company. What would the accusation be? Uh, then Sri Lanka is not a place for uh, good for business. Uh, successive government come and they change the the, the playing uh, level, playing field. Uh, so I think you know, you know there there's two sides for it. Is if we. If we Maybe if there's room for negotiations, we should uh, look at uh, negotiations. But we also need to give uh, you know, a clear message to, uh, to global investors that uh, we are about investments uh, and uh, we should not deter uh, any investors uh, due to changing government policies.
0: One last question with regards to Sri Lanka and China. Are there opportunities for security cooperation between Sri Lanka and China? Uh, What type of security cooperation is already going on in terms of militaries and defence and so on?
2: There's there's room for uh, military cooperation with all countries. Now, for example, we have been engaged with the EU and we have engaged with the United States, States particularly with uh, issues such as the Somalian pirates uh, issue, uh, we work with the United Nations uh, pertaining to drug trafficking coming from, you know, Burma in that area. So uh, uh, we, we we deal. Uh, you know we deal uh, very closely with you know uh, on military cooperations with uh, with the, uh, at a bilateral and at a multilateral level um, multilateral and bilateral level uh, with different countries. Now, if you if your question uh, meant that you know are we you know are we going to allow one day for like let's say you know the Chinese forces to Come I and you know land in Sri Lanka. No, that's not going to happen. We don't. We don't want the, you know the, the that sort of cooperation. Uh, you know that's why we are following following a neutral policy. And uh, one of the uh, the policies is that you know the the foreign um, foreign forces cannot uh, cannot use Sri Lanka as a base uh, for their uh, for their uh, military uh, purposes. So uh, so we feel that you know. Yes, we need to collaborate with all countries uh, where, where there are common interests. But we also have to be you know, we are mindful of being a neutral country. We also And also we have, we have to be mindful of India's interests. Uh, one uh, former defence uh, secretary uh, of India described Sri Lanka as a... Uh, um, aircraft carrier off the you know of the base of uh, of the coast of uh, india uh, so uh, let's take a fighter plane leaving sri lanka within 2 or 3 minutes will be within the uh, indian airspace so we need to be mindful that you know that india is comfortable uh, with the uh, with our approach uh, we uh, we certainly want to certainly want to trade with uh, you know all countries and we certainly want to engage economically with uh, all countries but uh, and we need to have security cooperation with uh, all countries but I think you know we also need to have a very distinct uh, 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 message that, that that security cooperation does not mean that let's say you know for any country to come and set up bases in Sri Lanka.
0: So, you, ma- you mentioned India. Uh, what is the state of Sri Lanka's relationship with India right now? I know the relationship's had its up, ups and downs over the past few decades, but how would you cl- uh, term the relationship right now between India and Sri Lanka? I think this Sri Lanka's and India's
2: relationship is very
0: good. Uh, but,
2: you know, we must, uh, I think one must understand the nature of Sri Lanka's and India's relations. You know, Sri Lanka's and uh, India's relations is, you know, goes. Back thousands of years. It's not a relationship which was built, you know, post independence or whatever. It goes thousands of years. So, you know, cult- culturally, you know, we are intertwined. If you look at uh, the, uh, particularly uh, the uh, the Tamil population in uh, in Sri Lanka, they have uh, they have uh, roots in uh, in let's say uh, Tamil Nadu, and they they have the the same culture, the same language, and there's so many uh, common things which uh, we share. So uh, I would think that, you know, this Sri Lanka's relationship at this, uh, at this juncture with India is, is at an all-time high. We, uh, uh, we, uh, looking at, we, are, we are looking at areas of uh, new um, collaboration. Uh, and uh, we, as I mentioned earlier, we are also very mindful and careful of uh, the security concerns that India might have.
0: And and with those security concerns, we saw these tensions and the skirmish at Ladakh last summer in 2020 uh, between India and China. And uh, of course, some in the Indian uh, foreign policy community have expressed concern over China's uh, relationship with Sri Lanka just because it's right down there. Uh, Will Chinese and Indian tensions between those two countries will that ever put sri lanka in a bit of a tough spot just because of where it is and its relationship with these two big powers no i don't think so uh, i mean you know
2: people tend to overplay uh, this the relationship between you know india and china and then uh, uh, but as i mentioned uh, you know with united states if you look at even the trade between india and india and china uh, it's on the rise so I certainly feel that, you know, there's more uh, that India and China can do by working together. Uh, and such, if there are any body issues uh, with India and China, we certainly feel that uh, they, need be, uh, they, they need to be sorted out bilaterally.
0: So now the, the big kahuna, the big, the, you know, the country I'm from, the United States, uh, how, would you, how would you term the relationship between Sri Lanka and the United States? We saw Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visit the country, really a week before our own presidential elections on October 28th, we saw Secretary of State John Kerry visit the country in around 2015. How do the relations look right now?
2: We have a you know, good relationship with uh, the United States. The uh, United States is our biggest you know, the export market. Uh, we want to strengthen our uh, the trade, uh, trade, uh, um, trade uh, links with the United States. Uh, and also, uh, we want to uh, work together uh, in areas of common interest and uh, in areas of shared value. Uh, let's say, for example, um, uh, democracy is a very important thing for the United States, and democracy is a very important thing to Sri Lanka. As I mentioned, we've been the the we are the oldest democracy in Asia. So. Uh, let's say things such as uh things things such as uh strengthening our uh, the independent institutions uh, uh things such as that can be we can always look for you know solicit advice from the uh united states and the western world
0: so with regards to the united states uh, i know secretary pompeo visited uh, because one of the things they were we were pushing for was the U.S. Millennium Challenge Cooperation Compact. Uh, why did Sri Lanka decline that? Why did Sri Lanka reject that? What was the government's reasoning?
2: Uh, there were
0: several, uh,
2: there, there, you know, there were several reasons for the I think the rejection of that. I think the first and the more, most important thing is was the transparency uh, of the MCC. Uh, uh, I was a member of the opposition at that time. The, the how the, the previous government uh, uh, wanted to carry uh, forward the MCC uh, was not in the most uh, the transparent manner, uh, and uh, there were certain conditions which uh, of the MCC which the uh, the, the the Sri Lankan government was not agreeable to. For uh, I mean, let's say uh, I think. Uh, one condition was that you know, uh, if you if the Sri Lankan government wants to exit the you know the you know the exit the uh, the uh, treaty or whatever, then we have to pay back all the monies which has been you know sent by the the uh, given by the MCC. Uh, and there were some some uh, issues pertaining to uh, some technical issues which were, which you are not agreeable to.
0: So when when we're looking at sort of U.S. uh, economic aid and so on, does the U.S. sort of have more of these conditions on, say, certain projects and so on than China would have? Is that a reason that Sri Lanka, at least in sort of the public view, goes more towards China with regards to economic aid and, you know, working on these special projects? Does the U.S. have more of these conditions? It's a difficult question to answer. I think you know the, if you look if you're referring to the
2: US government and the uh, yes I, I I would think so yeah let's say if it's the, if it's a, if it's the companies I would say no I think if it's, if you look at the Chinese company or US company you know uh, basically they're interested in the same thing uh, ROI and you know uh, getting Getting a buck for the, the investment which they made, but certainly uh, there is a perception, uh, and I would think it's right, uh, somewhat of a rightful uh, perception that you know, in dealing with the West, uh, yeah, certain certain uh, conditions are attached to it. Uh, for example, let's say when when it comes to GSP plus, uh, the uh, the uh, uh, let's say the human right uh, issues are always uh, highlighted. Uh, whereas I think in de- in dealing with, with the Chinese, uh, they are not concerned about uh, the uh, they are more concerned only about the, the economic aspect of it. So uh, I think it's I think it's in that sense um, uh, it's perhaps more e- easier to uh, deal with uh, some uh, Chinese companies, uh, and also I think uh, the the structure of the, uh, the how things are operated in China and how things uh, operated in the United States tends to differ, you know. In the uh, United States, most of the companies tend to be these uh, public liability companies, so then the directors are responsible for the shareholders. But whereas, you know, in China, some of these uh, large companies tend to be state-owned companies. So uh, they can take a... More of a more of a, a strategic decision, saying that you know these 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 companies will be in, in, investing in these these, these countries. So uh, so I think you know in that sense it, it is uh, perhaps more easy to deal with the the Chinese Chinese companies.
0: So. I mean, I asked this question about the India-China tensions, but with U.S.-China, as you mentioned earlier in the interview, we've been having this sort of trade war. The tensions have been at an all-time high between the U.S. and China. And I mean, it looked like Secretary Pompeo's visit a week before the election was because the U.S. sort of foreign policy community viewed Sri Lanka as a sort of flashpoint in U.S.-China relations. Do you think Sri Lanka is sort of going to be, get sort of caught in the middle between the U.S. and China? Do you think the U.S. is going to try to make more inroads with Sri Lanka in the future because of China? Uh, what, what do you think?
2: It's up for interpretation. So I don't want to even speculate. So some countries might be, uh, you know, perhaps some uh, some. Uh, opinions have been expressed that you know, with the uh, with the exit of the United States from Afghanistan, maybe uh, uh, maybe they might be looking at a foothold in this part uh, this part of the uh, world. Um, but I think, uh, but uh, you know, we don't want to be caught in between uh, any uh, between the, you know we are we are a small country uh, we have a population of 22 million, uh, and we just want to be like the Switzerland of Asia. We don't want to get involved in in the issues pertaining to geopolitics. We had a war which was 30 years and which which was very nasty, and we are still uh, trying to get over the, the hiccups of that war. So we don't want to be caught in between the geopolitics uh, of uh, the, the the superpowers, we want to trade with uh, all countries on equal footing, and then we want to make sure that you know our country and our people prosper. Um, we have no, we have no, uh, how would I say? It? We we have no um, great ambitions to be a superpower or, 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 or to be, you know, conquer another country or to, yeah, or to uh, manifest our uh, thinking uh, in another country. So, uh, we just want to, we are all civilization. So uh, I would think that, you know, we, we uh, want what is best for our people, which is economic progress.
0: So with regards to economic progress, what are your views on the success of Sri Lanka's economic diplomacy? Has it been successful? Has Sri Lanka been able to garner uh, more aid for perhaps development from other countries aside from the U.S. and China? As
2: I mentioned, the, the, this particular ministry was formulated recently. So one of the reasons was that for the last since 1948, you know uh, our foreign ministry has mainly been you know mainly been uh concentrating on on political diplomacy so we feel that you know with the establishment of this ministry now there's more uh, more coordination between ministries such as the department of commerce and then the board of investments in sri lanka and the export development board and also the uh the uh of tourism, uh, we feel like the, we are moving in the right direction and, and the, the fruits of our labor can be can be experienced in
0: time to come. So now with, with regards to Sri Lanka's economy, uh, Sri Lanka has been having this economic crisis uh, as of late, uh, perhaps intensified by the COVID pandemic. Uh, Sri Lanka also has this debt crisis. Uh, and there has been calls by some in the opposition that Sri Lanka should sed- uh, perhaps go for structured relief from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. Uh, why has Sri Lanka sort of hesitated to go to the IMF for this type of structured relief so far?
2: Um, it's a good question. Uh, we feel, you know, we feel given the. Uh, the current economic uh, economic condition uh, this is this might not be the best time uh, to uh, go for a structured rel- relief um, particularly um, what is needed is to stimulate the economy and uh, if you go for an IMF package where, uh, uh, where you know if the the taxes are raised, or, uh, and uh, if stringent measures has to be followed, uh, the, it, might, it might further depress the economy. One must also keep in mind that during the previous government, when UMP was in power, uh, the year before, uh, in 2014, Sri Lanka, I think uh, in to- 2010 to uh, uh, 2014 period, the economy Growth of uh, Sri Lanka was over seven percent, and when the United Nation, uh, United National Party came into power, uh, every year the economic growth of Sri Lanka deteriorated, and uh, at, in the last quarter of uh, 2019 we had a 2.3 percent growth, which was lower than uh, that of Afghanistan, but without a war, without a COVID, nothing. So. Uh, we we feel that uh, uh, so maybe getting advice from those who uh, rule the country for the last five years and who have not performed any economic miracles might not be the uh, you know the uh, best advice uh, might not be the best advice uh, to get uh, get uh, but at at this juncture you know we are of the opinion that uh, that uh, uh, that uh, Maybe not going for uh, IMF structured loan is in the is in our best interest.
0: Mm-hmm. So, well, right now under the current government, is Sri Lanka at all at risk of defaulting on any loans? Can Sri Lanka meet these external debt repayment payments in the short to medium term?
2: We are hopeful we can, and I'm I'm certain we, we can. We have a very proud history of you know not defaulting, uh, not defaulting the. Uh, 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 yeah. The uh, our the uh, our sovereign uh, our loans, uh, and also uh, I think with, during the uh, you know the uh, next maybe four to five years, uh, although our annual loan payments uh, tend to be around you know four billion to you know five billion. Um, if you look at our the international sovereign bonds. Uh, the, the ratio it, they tend to be only about 1.5 to one billion so I'm quite positive that you know there will be no uh, default. the other loans can be can be structured uh, and uh, let's say if there are loans from other countries or something they, they can be restructured and a uh, fresh loan can be taken so I, I, the, the key is the uh, the international sovereign bonds and I don't see that you know we will be making there will be a default or, or from our side.
0: So for our American audiences, can you sort of describe how the COVID pandemic has intensified Sri Lanka's uh, economic crises and its economic difficulties? Just because in America, I mean, we had the pandemic and, of course, we had our own economic uh, crises, but it's a it's a different world in terms of the magnitude. Uh, So how is Sri Lanka do? How is Sri Lanka's economy doing amidst the COVID pandemic? Well, I think the pandemic. It's still there in the United States and it's
2: still there with us too, so uh, I don't think it's all uh, I think, you know, it might be we have to live with uh, the pandemic um, but if you look at the look at the two countries the uh, the social structure of the United States is vastly different from, you know, that of uh, the uh, Sri Lanka. Uh, if you look at the United States, it, the people are very individualistic uh, and they are not so uh, they are not so. Uh, they are they are looking at the the you know the uh, the individual rights, um, and whereas I think you know in Sri Lanka and some are community based, and they look at the communities' rights. Um, so uh, in, in the in the United States, and I think you know in some Western countries now, they people don't wear the mask, and you know, they, are, they go about uh, they go about their uh, their daily uh, daily activities without fear uh, in sri lanka we have been very successful with the vaccination program uh, uh, i think the, we have vaccinated a large uh, percentage up to i think in nine uh, close 90 percent of people uh, about the age of uh, 30 now we are uh, starting the vaccination uh, program for people about the uh, the age of uh, the 18 to uh, 30 category um, uh, the we had a death rate of uh, around uh, more than 200. Now for the uh, last three days, the death rate has come down. Uh, we feel once the, the the second vaccination is also done, and after a period of of uh, maybe uh, after the 14-day period, uh, the death rate should be uh, should come down. Uh, but uh, uh, um, but now, I mean, I think you know, in United States. Uh, I understand the death rate is somewhere between about five hundred to thousand or seven hundred fifty
0: to thousand a day. Am I correct? Perhaps, yeah. I don't have the specific numbers on me, but perhaps.
2: I mean, if if the last time I I checked, it was about I think you know seven hundred fifty to uh to thousand. So, uh, at at the peak, the the United States had a death rate of about four thousand four hundred. Um. So. Even if after the vaccination process, that you know, but we won't be able to make it, you know, zero deaths. We it will have that there, there will be, uh, there will be some deaths, maybe, maybe 50 deaths or, or 50 to 100 deaths or some certain amount of deaths. So, I think you know, the government also has to, uh, you know, very clearly say that, you know, okay, this is the goal which this is the goal, uh, we have achieved, we have achieved, you know, 100 percent vaccination. And uh, we will, you know, still take these steps to uh, ensure the safety of the people, uh, such, as, such as maybe restricted movements. Uh, but, uh, we, but after that, we have to, you know, open up the country and, uh, uh, you know, uh, go about our normal activities.
0: So, I, I guess part of the question was just because uh, we've been hearing the news uh, a bit about Sri Lanka's food shortage. Has Sri Lanka been able to get economic aid to address this food shortage that I've been seeing uh, in some of the Western media outlets? Yeah,
2: uh, I think you know uh, the actually to experience Sri Lanka, you know the uh, the. Uh, best way to experience Sri Lanka is to come to Sri Lanka and see uh, what it is. Uh, the, the food, the food uh, shortage, which I know some of the medias have been, uh, have been talking about this, is highly exaggerated. Uh, if you look at it, when a country closes down, there will always, always be supply-side issues. Uh, and if you... Uh, now uh, in Sri Lanka there is this, uh, the place called Dambulla, which is uh, which has uh, uh, the vegetable huge vegetable market. Uh, now uh, at the same time um, uh, in Dambulla you have these the farmers uh, complaining that they can't sell their uh, the uh, uh, produce uh, because the, no uh, no um, uh, the lorries or whatever has been coming. Uh, then you have a situation in Kalambu, uh, where the uh, the vegetable prices are you know extremely high so now uh, i uh, live in uh, three uh, three or four days i live in kegal and three or four days i live in uh, in Kalambu. Uh, uh, so i think like the last before week uh, uh, a kilo of tomatoes in Colombo uh, went for something like 230, 250 uh, kilo, whereas a kilo of uh, kilo of uh, tomatoes in you know, two, a kilo of tomatoes in Sri Lanka in Kego went for about 80 to 90 uh, rupees. So I, I think you know large part of it is with the lockdown, the the the, the supply side issues which uh, the, the customers are facing. But then there has been uh, there has been import restrictions. Uh, and due to the import restrictions uh, i think that there has been in some instances some food, food shortages but uh, but but i think that's, if you go to sri lanka you know, we are a very blessed country we have uh, you know sunshine twenty four uh, sunshine three hundred and sixty five days and then we have uh you know vegetables and fruits growing all over the country uh, right throughout the so we don't have the, I think the the the, the food sh- shortages, and also I would, uh, okay, also I would say that you know certain scrupulous uh, vendors, and they try to they you know try to take advantage of uh, you know such situation. You know, uh, for example, with with uh, sugar prices, uh, we saw that. Uh, during the uh, last two weeks, we saw certain vendors uh, holding on to certain stocks of uh, sugar, which the government went and uh, nationalized. So at that time, the uh, kilo of sugar was around uh, 240 rup- uh, rupees. Now, uh, the uh, kilo of uh, sugar has come down to about you know uh, 130 rupees. So we must keep in mind, whenever the country goes to a lockdown, these issues will prop up. That's why we are of the opinion that the vaccination pro- program—it uh, has been one of Sri Lanka has had, had one of the fastest vaccination rates in the in the world. So we need to expedite that and then open the country up.
0: Absolutely, and trust me, the vaccination rate—it's been extraordinary with how quick and how fast it's really accelerated. And the fact that you've gotten such a high proportion of the people uh, vaccinated with those jabs in the arms is truly—it's uh, truly extraordinary. Uh, The last segment of this interview, uh, we've been seeing some stuff that's been going on at the United Nations HRC. We saw uh, your, I guess, uh, senior uh, foreign minister, G.L. Peiris, deliver a statement, uh, I think just today, actually, virtually uh, to the UNHRC. So we've been seeing these criticisms at the UNHRC about the end of Sri Lanka's civil war and questions about accountability. How is Sri Lanka addressing uh, those criticisms? What is Sri Lanka's answer to those criticisms? We've been addressing them through dialogue
2: and then uh, we've been having a constant uh, uh, dialogue with, uh, with uh, um, our, the, the, our partners and also the co-group. Um, so we feel that, you know, certain uh, certain areas which have been mentioned in uh, the UN Human Rights Council uh, be to Need to change certain uh, aspects, not necessarily because of the human uh, human uh, UN Human Rights Council, but it is the right thing to do. Uh, for example, if you look at the uh, the uh, the Prevention of Terrorism Act, uh, the Prevention of Terrorism Act came in uh, as an emergency regulation in the 19, I think 1977 or seventy eight or seventy nine, uh, and then you know it, it's been uh, we've been uh, successive governments has, has used the same uh, piece of legislation, so we feel that you know we need to bring a uh, new uh, piece of legislation in uh, for the the Prevention of Terrorism Act, uh, keeping you know not compromising the security of the country. Uh, so uh, we and also uh, in certain in certain aspects, so we have had a constant dialogue, and then. Uh, the 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 president has also appointed a commission of inquiry to look into uh, the previous reports of uh, certain commissions and to see if there are any gaps which needs to be addressed. Uh, so uh, I feel that we are you know moving in the in the right direction. But uh, we must also keep in keep in mind that um, we can also keep in mind um, you know, certain things work at you know, certain paces for, uh, you know, uh, certain things cannot be rushed or, uh, I don't believe that certain things can be rushed, for example. Um, and also, uh, also there are certain things which, uh, are, for example, the reconciliation and the, uh, the process of, um, the accountability, uh, now, now, uh, like previous government uh, thought these two are mutually exclusive, and then thought that uh, uh, certain missions which they had uh, drastically affected the uh, the other side. Uh, for example, uh, for example, uh, the previous government. Uh, was hell bent on sending uh, uh, c- uh, certain uh, personnel from military to uh, military uh, on issues uh, pertaining to accountability. Uh, but what happened as a result of that was that you know the reconciliation between the uh, the, uh, the Sinhalese and the uh, the Tamils suffered as a result of that. You know the country became more uh, pl- polarized. So. Uh, what we need to ensure is uh, is that uh, the, uh, the, the war which we experienced for 30 years, uh, such a war will not take place in future. So uh, we need to be careful and uh, careful in addressing both the issues of uh, reconciliation and
0: accountability. So we, how would you term the progress of post-war reconciliation in Sri Lanka over the past decade? Has it generally been successful, and especially under this government, is this government going to do anything different uh, with regards to reconciliation that the previous government had not done? The the big question, I think, is that was the the, whatever the steps taken by uh, the previous
2: government successful? And then uh, if you look at uh, whatever the steps which were uh, taken by the previous government, uh, due to that, is there a better understanding between the Sinhalese and the Tamils currently, or if you know, or due to whatever the measures they have uh, taken uh, during the last five years, uh, yeah, is there a better a better reconciliation or better understanding between communities between the uh, let's say the Muslims and the Sinhalese? Uh, I don't think so. So I think you know the whatever the measures that, that the previous government has taken uh, ha- has not been successful. Uh, so, uh, if you look at uh, particularly the issues pertaining to uh, reconciliation, uh, I would think that we have the uh, the uh, s- short term solutions and s- short term objectives, which are so, tends to be sometimes quite administrative in uh, uh, in nature. Now, uh, for example, uh, let's say. Um, a Tamil person living in a predominantly singular area, uh, if he goes to a police office or uh, uh, AGA, the assistant government agent's office, uh, in order to get a copy of the uh, birth certificate or something, there could be a language barrier. Now, such such, uh, measures could be easily addressed through, let's say, for example, you know, technological uh, solutions. Uh, But Then there are you know other more long-term reconciliation issues. If you look at the history of the the Sinhalese and the uh, Tamils, uh, they have been completely uh, segregated uh, for the um, for the longest period of time. Um, Now uh, language issue is also one issue I feel that uh, both governments in fact, all governments after the uh, after the war has been addressing, and I feel that you know it's a, it's a more of a long term uh, uh, strategy. I think if the if communities can uh, c- communities can um, uh, uh, talk in, in a different language, then they, they tend to be much uh, much uh, closer together. Uh, but I also think that uh, the the segregations of the uh, the the two, the two communities. Uh, you know, has not necessarily be, has come together. Uh, there, there are certain cosmetic uh, measures which have been taken, uh, but but uh, let's say you know, I don't know how in the long term how uh, how useful they are, and uh, also I think you know, like if you look at uh, places like Colombo, that the, and if you look at the Colombo schools or whatever, they're all Sinhalese, Tamers, and the Muslims, everybody gets along and everybody lives together uh, quite closely. Then if you go to more towards the rural areas, then uh, uh, they have this, you know, the, the ethnicity, they take the ethnicity uh, line. Uh, but also uh, other things, if you look at you know the uh, let's say in the United States in 1950s or 60s, you know it was a very segregated society. Uh, the blacks were not able to, uh, you know, the blacks were not able to, um, uh, you know, go eat in a, maybe in the, in the same restaurant in certain areas of the country. But uh, in less than 60 years, uh, the United States had moved forward to. Uh, forward to uh, elect a, 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 a black president uh, now now along the way i think there were certain uh, certain uh, things uh, which took place which uh, got the two societies together uh, for example let's say you know the in 1970s the comedies the, uh, the jeffersons or, or more so i think you know in the 80s with the post, things like in the Cosby show and all that it became a show where the you know even the white people were watching that show, and then if you look at in the in the the seventies uh, and the and the eighties, the the black athletes, you know Michael Jordan and all that, you know they, they spoke to uh, across the uh, the race barriers. Uh, then uh, now uh, things such as like you know in cinema and entertainment, uh, uh, entertainment uh, these uh, uh, the uh, the the artists and uh, the sports personnel were able to cross certain barriers, but do I see the same thing in Sri Lanka? I, I see a lot of sh- Sinhalese going going and watching uh, uh, the ta- Tamil films, but uh, do I do the Sinhalese uh, enjoy Tamil music on a on a daily basis or something? I would probably say no. And do the Tamils enjoy the single uh, uh, music or something? I would say no. And then if you look at things as the, the marriage rate between the inter-communities, uh, now if, if you look at the marriage rate between the blacks and the whites uh, compared to uh, the um, 1960s uh, as compared to the current-day United States, it's, it's uh, very high. But has our, you know, has our uh, rates of marriage between the Sinhalese and the Tamils, has that improved? Uh, I would think it would, it would have improved marginally, but I don't think, you know, uh, I don't think it has improved remarkably. So in order, in order for, uh, the, for proper integration that, you know, uh, these things need to happen, you can't think of somebody from the other community as a Tamil, or you can't think of another person as a Sinhalese, you just need to think of the other person as a
0: human being. So uh, I think we, we certainly have a long way to go. Absolutely, and with regards to, you know, inter marriage, right, like love is love. So, so my last question, uh, my very last question, what are we in the United States getting wrong about Sri Lanka? I think the perception,
2: you know, first of all, it's a perception, you know, uh, that we are, you know, China friendly. Uh, we do, uh, or you know, we are anti, you know, anti, uh, you know, West. Uh, I think that the perception has to be uh, somewhat changed. We uh, also, as I mentioned, that you know, with 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 China, we have some uh, common values uh, such as reduction of poverty and all that, So we need to work with China in in realizing those goals. We have uh, common values with the uh, the uh, united states such as democracy and you know the, the, the uh, and the uh, independence of, of our institutions so I think we need to work with the western countries in uh, in uh, in, uh, in those issues uh, our i mean we are a small country of 22, 22 million people we don't want to get into involved in you know let alone the, if we, let alone let, let's say if uh, are the uh, rather global issues of uh, superpower nature you know, between china and uh, india china and the uh, united states we don't want to even uh, necessarily get involved in a regional matter because you know we, we 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 need to know our place we can't punch above our weight and uh, only uh, so what the most important thing for us is economic progress. And uh, we are willing to work with any country uh, any country which will uh, in order uh, for, for us to realize that. Uh, so I think the uh, I think the best way to uh, to perhaps correct that uh, perception is for people to come to Sri Lanka and view uh, you know, there, somehow Sri Lanka be with certain countries uh, gives the perception that you know Sri Lanka is a lawless state. You know, uh, Sri Lanka are full of racists, and Sri Lanka is you know is warm, who's out for blood, kind of thing. If people come to Sri Lanka, uh, it's 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 quite a different. Uh, you know, a different uh, climate. Of course, you know we have uh, uh, issues. We have uh, issues between Sinhalese and Tamils, which. Uh, you know, very ancient in nature, uh, but that doesn't mean everybody's killing one another or something. You know, my some of my best friends are from the minorities, uh, and uh, so I think that you know we need to you know correct that uh, perception about Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka is is open for any any country to come and do uh,
0: business. Minister, on that note, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's been a good hour, a good conversation, and thank you so much for giving your perspective on these important issues. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that was our conversation with the state minister. Uh, We really appreciated him coming on, but the conversation was intriguing. It It was quite intriguing. Ryan,
1: I guess, what are your first thoughts? Uh, I will kind of say what I initially said in that, again, he's a, a he's a member of government, he's a politician. And so he's very careful. Um, but it, and sometimes when he's being careful, he's not providing answers to questions that are being answered. And in particular, Andre, I want to bring up your question on the, the UNHRC uh, issue. And in that, I mean, the only thing that was really concrete was like blaming the former government and of which, you know, the the current government or at least remnants of it were in power for a significant portion. Before. Six years, six years after right. the war, or five That's a lot of time, five and a half. And so, so when you're looking at yeah, when you're looking at reconciliation issues, human rights issues, uh, you know, while he did say they are moving in the right direction, and the president set up a commission to inquire into reports of 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 crimes and ensuring that you know there's no you no know, conflict in between ethnic groups again there wasn't really a concrete plan outlined
0: yeah I, no i mean obviously he gave like aspects of what the government is doing but he sort of kept it a bit vague it would have been nice to get some more specifics on you know what exactly is going and he said uh reconciliation is a slow process it's a long process sort of uh the answer is about you know we want to make sure we're doing this right we don't want to you know say that there's going to be another civil war in the future, obviously, by some actions we might take. Of interest to me, he said, uh, because the current government has, uh, you know, castigated the previous government for attempting to hold certain military leaders in the Sri Lankan army accountable uh, for alleged war crimes that happened at the end of the civil war. Uh, The current government is against that, and he said that doing that would harm reconciliation between the Sinhalese and the Tamils, and certainly there's a lot of different theories and a lot of different work that's gone in with like south africa for example and other countries that have had truth and reconciliation commissions and you know try to go for accountability and what effect it has on reconciliation but the answer was certainly vague the day we actually had conducted the interview his boss the foreign minister g.l pieris had sort of given a speech to the united nations human rights commission i believe our council and uh stated that Sri Lanka rejects a lot of the initiatives that have been put forth by the UNHRC. And certainly, uh, Mr. Balasurya was basically saying what Sri Lanka is domestically doing about that, in essence, complimenting the foreign minister. But the the picture he paints is certainly a very, picture, a very different picture than what was painted by uh, our previous episode, our previous guest, uh, Shanaki and Raza, who, who is of course is a Tamil National Alliance member of parliament and it's definitely two polar opposites it's like black and white although <laughs> don't get me wrong the he did bring up sort of the us's sort of racial issues but then veered away from it immediately i think which was another interesting analogy but ryan uh what what else was there
1: yeah, so Andre, I, I do want to just bring up the United Nations, while being a, an intergovernmental organization, it's also a political organization. And so, while much of the work that is brought forward by the UNHRC is very legitimate, and certainly the the claims brought forward and the investigations into the, the Sri Lankan uh, civil war are very legitimate, it can be kind of turned by officials, not only in Sri Lanka, but around the world, as being politicized by a variety of countries or interests. And so, that's, I think, an important consideration. When you listen to government officials in Sri Lanka talk about international institutions in a certain way, um, you, you got to think about you know the politics of it all from an international stage.
0: Yeah, Ryan, absolutely. And I think it's important to keep in mind the implications of what a UN investigation would mean for Sri Lanka's domestic political circles and how they're actually framing this UN investigation. Uh, We got certainly one perspective from uh, Mr. Balasuriya, the state minister, on how he views the UN investigation. And of course, he was trying to be more uh, conciliatory with his answer, of course, right? By talking about what the government is doing, even if it was a bit vague in terms of what he was uh, stating. We also got another very different perspective from TNA MP uh, Shanakian, who stated that there has to be investigations. Tamils are still suffering and so on. So we got two very different perspectives on this. And of course, certainly, I really hope all of you folks will do a lot more research into what occurred at the end of the Sri Lankan civil war. But Ryan, uh, anything that stood out to you about, say, the economy? I I did ask a question on Sri Lanka's economy and some other stuff. What
1: were your reactions to that? Well, it's become very clear that the the Sri Lankan government at least, in my opinion, sees China as just a big bag of money. I mean, he mentioned that you know that Sri Lanka and China share values when it comes to reducing poverty, economic cooperation. Uh, but where the U.S. and Sri Lanka, from from his perspective, share values is in democracy and building institutions. And so, and I think that's what many countries that seek out uh, China uh, as a partner looked for anyway. I mean, China is not trying to you know build institutions or you know promote democracy. They're trying to influence um, not only the countries that they are you know, providing economic assistance and investment to, but also trying to kind of expand their worldview. Well, it sounds like for Sri Lanka, China is a good
0: business partner, right? Like a good investor, because it, it, it appears obviously from the course of our other interviews with other uh, political figures, that China seems to be more open for business. There are less restrictions. There is less conditions. And it's more opportune for Sri Lanka to go for these just because there are less conditions on it. The U.S., we've talked with uh, Odita Jaya Singh, the reporter, about this. We've talked about this with Prime minister, former Prime Minister Wickramasinghe about this. And now we've talked to the state minister about it. Just see the vibe I'm getting. Is that China is more open for business in an accessible way, and that it's easier to do business with China for the Sri Lankan government. Just inherently easier, less hoops to jump through, and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean it, that, that's very valid, and th- that's the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, no, I completely. That's how it's kind of come off, and it's very valid. And he said, you know, the don't perceive, and the minister did say, don't perceive Sri Lanka is China friendly. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a business relationship, um, but I think it also kind of elucidates how the US is treating some smaller countries particularly in this region of the world what he said about the
0: MCC the whole reason behind Mike Pompeo's visit in a week before our elections in 2020 Pompeo visited Sri Lanka and he went to try and propose the MCC and the government turned the MCC down right and Balasuriya said They basically rejected the MCC because there was a lack of transparency and that some of the stuff that the U.S. had put in there was just not sufficient to Sri Lankan interests. So, I mean, I think looking and reading more into what was going on with the MCC and listening to what the state minister says about the MCC can highlight why the U.S. is not making as much progress on some of these developmental goals, some of these uh, aid programs and partnerships with some of these smaller countries. Look at the MCC and understand why the Sri Lankan government and why Sri Lankans in general may not have liked the MCC. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's important to kind of think about there are multiple perspectives on this. Um, And so, but anyway, the the u s has interests in Sri Lanka in the region, and so when there can 't be cooperation, does that kind of bring to light u s foreign policy failures or maybe failures of, of of foreign policy in other countries and so these are the questions that we 're kind of trying to discover absolutely and i mean we
0: we have so many there are so many programs and so many articles and stuff written about u s china And whether smaller countries have to decide, right, whether smaller countries had to decide. But I think it's imperative for us to understand what are the goals of these smaller countries? How do these countries want to develop? And how do we understand the inner political workings of these countries before we go in and try to propose certain investment programs and economic programs? Folks, uh, that's it for us. Uh, Stay tuned for more episodes in this mini-series. We're going to get some more voices, some objective voices, and some opinionated voices. So Keep that in mind. But for now, that's it. Thank you.